Hello everyone, I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Well, welcome back, Queens. We have Dr. Kirsty Elliott-Sell, and she completed her undergraduate degree and PhD in exercise physiology at Liverpool John Moores University. Her PhD examined the effects of female reproductive hormones on muscle strength, and since then, her work is mainly focused on female athletes. So, yes, we had to have her on fit for a queen. (laughs) She worked as a lecturer at the Brunel University and University of Brighton before undertaking a four-year postdoc research fellowship at King's College London. Dr. Elliot Sell joined Nottingham Trent University in September 2009. In addition to her research on female athletes, the Female Athlete Triad and Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport, (laughs) her work in recent years has involved designing exercise interventions for weight management in overweight and obese and pregnant postpartum women. She's an associate professor of female physiology and the head of musculoskeletal physiology research group at NTU. See, we get these amazing people mm. that have such impressive bios that by the end you're Big like, words. yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. I promise to use only small words. <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate that. Oh, that you can so, probably say it more elegantly than I can. So, so okay. Becca and I love research. We're a bit of um, research nerds. So we love talking about um, reproductive health and female athletes and all the things that you're doing. So we appreciate you being on and talking about um, a subject that we're very interested in. Thank you. No, it's, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. So obviously you have a quite the extensive background. Tell us a little bit about your journey into this work. Oh, well, oh, I accidentally <laughs> fell into this work, <laughs> to be really honest. Um, but I, I'm so glad I did. So I guess the short version is that um, I had a really fantastic um, PE teacher when I was at secondary school. So if you haven't guessed already from from the accent, I'm Irish. Um, <laughs> and so we call sort of our, our sport is called PE, which, which stands for um, physical education. Mm-hmm. And my PE teacher was a fantastic woman and um, she really got me into sport. And um, when I was sort of filling out my applications to go to university, I really wanted to be a, a PE teacher just just like her. Um, and so I filled out PE everywhere, but I accidentally put the wrong code down on um, just for one for one particular course, which happened to be sports science. Um, so anyway, <laughs> my mum, yeah, I know. So my mum took me to England um, to um, to go to the interview for this course that I'd accidentally chosen, this, this sports science that I'd never even heard of in Ireland. And um, we're going back a long time ago. And I absolutely loved it. At the interview, I met great people. I loved the sound of the course. And then I just, you know, I absolutely had to go to Liverpool John Moores and do sports science. And, you know, so I did my degree there, which I absolutely loved. And we, you know, we, we get to do a research project in our final year. And so the combination of, of sport, which I already loved, the science, which was new and exciting, 
it was the perfect combination. And um, so when I finished my degree, I was super lucky that at the time, um, the same university was offering um, some fully funded PhDs. Um, so I applied clearly and um, I took up um, the position to basically extend the work of Dr. Julie Greaves. So she'd been researching in female athletes for her PhD, which she'd finished. And the university and that department were really keen to, to keep going with this because they knew it was quite sort of groundbreaking, really exciting work. Um, so yeah, so I got the position um, to, to start there and, and the rest is history. I absolutely loved the area of um, female sort of reproductive sports science. And yeah, that was a long time ago. So that was in the late 90s. And I've been shipping away at it ever since. So I accidentally fell into something I absolutely love. Literally, I love that. <laughs> That's a good journey. I love it too. It's like showing up in class and you're sitting like, in there and you're like, wait, I think I'm in the wrong class. But instead, you went ahead and stayed. And But I love it. Look, look at what happened. <laughs> So too. So yes. Yeah, so just yeah. Look out for look out for new and exciting opportunities. <laughs> and the fact that the the PE teacher that's a such a great comment that I think a lot of people don't realize the role that that teacher can have shaping young female athletes from day one. So that's some great PE teacher. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. It, it's it's. I I really do genuinely. You know, she changed the course of of my path. And if it hadn't have been for her. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to be a lawyer, which my husband tells me I'd be quite good at because I'm very argumentative. <laughs> so if this whole sports science female athlete thing doesn't work out, I'm heading next off law school. <laughs> you can use those skills on him only. <laughs> That's helpful. But gosh, that is kind of part of our career is the fact that we have to be able to argue both sides, especially Absolutely. in science. So mm-hmm. um, and your husband also is a researcher, right? He is, yes. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, my husband is um, Professor Craig Sale. So he, I met him at university, um, which which was which was great. We went to the same university, and um, yeah, actually, our research areas complement each other, which is is useful. So, <laughs> although we try and keep our, um, you know, our home life separate from our work lives, but yeah, we we collaborate a lot. And his area of of bone health is really complementary mm-hmm. to the work that I do with female athletes. So yeah, you you'll see us sort of together a lot, and it really works very well for us. Um, and yeah, so it's a uh, it's been a great relationship, sort of both on and off the the sports fields. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, you know, after listening to you at the the female athlete conference, I, I told Kara, I was like, we have to get her on because birth control and female athlete and amenorrhea have had so much controversy. But I really love the fact that you kind of had this neutral approach looking at the pros and cons. And we can't just assume, put them on birth control, don't put them on birth control. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about some of the reasons or the the way that you would walk through when you're educating somebody on the use of birth control? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you, you're, you're right. I, I don't advocate e- either way. I think we have to take this by a, a case-by-case approach. You know, clearly birth control is, you know, a, a woman's right. It's it's super important. Um, you know, without birth control, you know, we may lose a lot of our great athletes to, you know, pregnancy and, you know, unplanned <laughs> mm-hmm. pregnancies. And, and you know, absolutely, you know, they're, they're somebody's personal choice. If there's scope to use something else or to make a different choice or if they're not needed, then I think we could have some really great conversations there so so yeah first point is absolutely every female athlete every female's choice 
um, to use birth control and, and nobody should be put down for that. Second to that, outside of birth control, we know that um, for many athletes, um, hormonal contraceptives can alleviate some really horrible side effects of the menstrual cycle, debilitating side effects. And, you know, without the hormonal contraceptives, they wouldn't be able to train or compete anyway. Um, so, you know, it could affect their sort of sporting career in, in that way. And also there's other medical complications and conditions that would warrant, you know, hormonal contraceptives as a treatment. So really, for those two reasons, I think we mustn't ever say that, you know, hormonal contraceptives are bad or shouldn't be used. You know, they absolutely have a have a place in, in life, in society, in sports. As I said, on the flip side to that, if they're not needed, um, then we shouldn't go on them just, you know, for um, just to use them to manipulate our menstrual cycles. So in our experience, so some work I've done with my um, now graduated PhD student, Dr. Dan Martin, uh, we did a questionnaire study to sort of look at why our female athletes in the UK were using oral contraceptives. And actually, um, you know, very quickly we learned that many weren't using it for contraception purposes. Many weren't using it to control or, you know, alleviate other conditions. Many were using it to manipulate their their sort of natural physiological menstrual cycle mm -hmm. so for example what i mean by that is um they wanted to maybe avoid bleeding um you know during a particular competition you know or they wanted to be able to train without worrying about you know if you think about if you're a rower and you're out on the water for hours on end you know it's really disruptive to have your period so they were using <laughs> these hormonal contraceptives to, to get rid of that and, and to manipulate their, their cycles and in such cases, I think that's where we can have really interesting conversations and say, well, look, if you don't need it for reason one or two and you're just doing it for this, you know, maybe we can look to do something else that doesn't change your endogenous, your natural hormonal profile. Because actually, we hypothesize that if you continue to use a hormonal contraceptive year on year on year without a break, you know, we, ha we, we don't have necessarily a big data set to support this, but it makes common sense that you know we want our bodies to be in homeostasis so all the time we try to get back to homeostasis what is our natural programming our natural programming is to go through puberty and have a menstrual cycle to have cyclical changes rises you know and, and falls in each within a progesterone if you take a hormonal contraceptive that get, gets rid of that natural rhythm it down regulates so it completely changes and lowers those hormones and it means that you're not in homeostasis you're not doing the natural thing so it should make sense that you know there may be some long-term negative side effects associated with that the big one that you, that you mentioned becca at the start about sort of amenorrhea and relative energy deficiency in sport this is one where really you know hormonal contraceptives um play a big part so what i mean by that is if you have somebody with low energy availability they don't have enough energy for everything for sport and um, for physiological processes for good health and in this case, it's, the body is, is quite clever. It sacrifices the menstrual cycle. It basically says to itself, do I need to fuel this marathon today or do I need to fuel, you know, having a baby? And so it basically says, no, no baby today. I'll, you know, turn off that system. And so if you are a non-hormonal contraceptive user, if you have low energy availability, if you lose your menstrual cycle, if you, if you don't have a period anymore, that's a really great early warning system. If you're a hormonal contraceptive user, for example, you don't have this system because you don't have a period to lose. You have a withdrawal bleed if you're on the type of contraception that allows you to come off it for so many days per month. But that's entirely different. 
And so therefore we lose out on that sort of early warning detection system. So we lose out on our ability to really track the health of our, you know, sort of reproductive system. So yeah, so for a lot of reasons, I think if you don't need to take it, then, you know, why, why do that? Why not have your natural rhythm? Why not look for ways to, you know, maximize our natural rhythms and you know keep us as healthy and as close to homeostasis as we possibly can definitely and i love to the educational piece on not all birth controls are created equal like the different ratios of progesterone and estrogen and how that can impact performance i mean those are things that really nobody started talk about till you guys in it um i'll try to find that link to the, the infograph that you guys had during that presentation as well so we can put that um with our show notes yeah, it's a really great uh, infographic um, the, from the girls from Australia. They've they've done some really great work in their lab. And it's so true that, you know, it's we, we tend to oversimplify things, you know. So, of course, there's the whole debate in its most simplistic form. You have male versus female athletes. OK, so that's the most simplistic you can get. If you then take females and you want to look into that in more in more depth, the next sort of simplest categories would be, you know, hormone contraceptive users versus non-users. Um, but then it isn't that simple. In the hormonal contraceptive users, you've got literally, um, I mean, I don't know if you guys have in America, but we have pick and mix where you like go to the store and you have like um, a big wall full of sweets and candy and you get like a little bag and uh-huh. you can choose all the different oh, yeah. sweets. Yeah. So this is what I think <laughs> hormonal contraceptives are like. It's like pick and mix, you know. Mm. So I think it's really oversimplifying it to say, oh, okay, well, we can treat you as a non-user and we can treat you as a user because actually within those sort of hormonal contraceptive users, you have, you know, pill users, you have injections, you have implants, you have patches, some of them are monophasic, delivering the same concentration for the month, some of them are bi or triphasic. I mean, it is literally like an encyclopedia, a pick and mix of, you know, candies. There's so many out there. And, you know, it really is a bit of a minefield. You know, when people say to me, oh, you know, what do I do with those hormonal contraceptive users? I'm like, wow, if only it was that simple. It's like, which type of hormonal contraceptive user do you have? That may sort of, you know, determine what effects they could have on your health or your performance or your mood or, you know, so many things. So, yeah, it's it's a very complicated picture. Mm-hmm. And people tend to, obviously, people don't want to get bogged down in complications. So they basically avoid doing research on female athletes because once you start sort of picking away at it and you realize there are so many different variations, people shy away from that. But although it is complicated, we we can't do that. We must obviously educate ourselves. We must talk about it. And actually, you know, once you spend a little bit of time on this, it's not as difficult as you might think. It might be time consuming, but it's not difficult. Um, And so, as I say, I'm a huge advocate to get the sort of the word out there. And I think it's great the work that you girls do with the podcast and get people talking about it and educating themselves. And I love a good infographic. So, yeah, absolutely. Let me know if you need that infographic. Um, I'm sure that Claire wouldn't mind um, obviously you sharing that too. Thank you. And I think this has to trickle down to the athletes in, in terms of like educating them about birth control because, you know, I think many women are like, what do you mean I don't have a period? When I stop my pill, I have a mm-hmm. period. I'm like, well, it's not an yeah. actual period. Yeah. I don't think a lot of education is around different pills and what they do and do not do and how they impact, you know, other things and performance and such. So I think it needs to even come down to like, how do we get get the athlete on board who are um, taking birth control for the convenience of it too? 
yeah let me let me tell you this this is a it's you know um I was gonna say it's a funny story but it's not funny at all it's, it's quite tragic so when Dan and I were doing our, our questionnaire based study the questionnaire we thought was fairly straightforward so it basically went something like fill out section a if you um don't use a formal contraceptive and fill out section b if you do and we found that we were getting some questionnaires back which had section a and b completed and it's like well you can't <laughs> and the reason where the confusion came from was because exactly how you said the athlete thought because they had this well they thought they were having a period so they basically went, oh, I have a menstrual cycle. I'll fill out section A. Oh, but I take an oral contraceptive. I'll also fill out section B. Uh, and so we had to disregard quite a number of our respondents because it was like, well, you can't be both. And I mean, obviously we figured out what it was and then we, we, we clarified to the athletes, you know, you, you can't be both. And, but it really showed us, um, and we were quite surprised by, you know, even at that level, that woman didn't understand, you know, who she was in terms of her reproductive profile. And, you know, I'm absolutely, you know, I'm well known. I, I, I constantly repeat myself to say, we need to stop calling those periods, their withdrawal bleeds. They're entirely different. And the minute, you know, we start doing that and that becomes a mainstream term, then hopefully we can start to clarify to the athlete, you know, what's happening with them. But one of the actually other interesting things we also sort of got from that questionnaire was that most athletes don't really talk to their coaches or to their team medic or doctors about contraception. They don't see it as something that could potentially influence their performance or their health. So clearly exactly what you said, you know, we really need to educate people. And it starts with just the most basic of conversations, whether it's the coach with the athlete or, you know, a practitioner or a nutritionist or, you know, any member of that sort of network or support team for the athlete. Just sitting down, you know, cup of coffee saying, so look, you know, do you mind? Let's have a chat about this. And, you know, let's determine who you are, what this could mean to you. And, you know, mostly we're looking to monitor changes in performance or changes in health. And, you know, for many women, they're getting it right, probably accidentally. But for those who aren't, I think we could make some really big strides to improve mm -hmm. that performance for female athletes. Mm, definitely agree. Yeah, good stuff. Um, you have become a big advocate for Fearless 261. Tell us how that is going. We love Fearless 261. <laughs> um, yeah, so this this happened at the Female Athlete Conference um, that Beck has mentioned. Um, so I was lucky enough to see Catherine Swisser give her talk mm. there. And yeah, her talk really resonated with me. So I have two sons. And coincidentally, um, the year before, um, so basically last year, the year before I went to the, the Female Athlete Conference, we'd um, seen Catherine's story on the BBC in England and I remember chatting to it uh, about it with with my two sons and you know they really couldn't understand so they're 11 they're, they're twin boys who are 11 and they couldn't understand that this woman you know was told she couldn't run in the marathon and you know that doesn't you know that wouldn't happen in in their world today so yeah so last year we'd had this really you know interesting conversation having seen her on the news and then fast forward a year um, Catherine was at the Female Athlete Conference and gave this really great presentation talking about not just what had happened to her, but how she'd used her experience to basically, obviously, you know, help other sort of females out there. You know, so I, anyway, sorry, I, I always give too long of an answer, um, but she really inspired me. And um, 
after her talk, I'd, I'd pop to the toilet. I won't over here, but I popped in the toilet and happened to bump into Catherine in the hallway. And um, yeah, we had a little chat. I can't lie. I had a little selfie because, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we had a chat and, um, you know, I mentioned to her that recently I'd taken up running. So, um, yeah, about two years ago now, when I hit 40, I decided to take up take up running and um, to do something for, for myself to show also my children that, you know, you can you can do something that you didn't think you were capable of. So I've started running half marathons um, in the last, as I say, two years. So I'm brand new to, to running. Um, so we had a really great chat and she invited me to, um, or wondered if, if I would like to join her and her team to run the Great North Run, which is a really world famous <laughs> half marathon in Newcastle in, in the UK. Um, and, you know, I was, yeah. Hell yes. <laughs> I will take one of your 261 fearless bids. And, you know, you know, it's it's clear this is more than just Catherine and her really inspirational story. As as you know, and, and probably your listeners, this is a, a worldwide, you know, an um, organization to help women all across the world. And actually, um the 261 fearless leader in, in the UK, uh Dr. Juliet McGrathen, she's fantastic. And so we've been mm-hmm. emailing lots and staying in touch, and we have a little Facebook group for the Great North Run. And it's my absolute pleasure just to be able to, you know, run with that team, be involved, you know, do a little bit of fundraising for them, because I think it's an absolutely fantastic idea. And, you know, I'm living proof that, you know, in your 40s, you can take up a new sport, you can run a very long way, you can inspire, you know, your children to, you know, to realise that, you know, you're never too old and that actually, you know, you can do things that maybe you didn't expect you could. So yeah, so I'm I'm completely on board with, with this now. So um yeah, um as I say, I'm really it's my pleasure to be involved with with them. Oh how fun. Um, so in between husband, wife, research travel, and I believe you also do you, you have two children, <laughs> correct? Two children, yeah. Uh-huh. And then now Fearless Two Six One. How do you balance the fit philosophy, your performance, health, intellect, and then taking a little bit of time for self? <laughs> um how do I balance it <laughs> for me I I think that um yeah I'm I'm super efficient with my time mm. um I love a good list um I live my life with lists <laughs> um so I try to work I try to work not necessarily for a long time but I try to to do a lot in, in the time where I'm working and you know for me I guess a big wake-up call or well not a wake-up call Something that really influenced me was so my dad passed away when I was 24. Mm. He was 49 um, and he died of a heart attack. Mm. Um, and he really did, you know, so I can joke about it now. But, you know, the, the saying that, you know, somebody dropped dead. Well, that's what my dad did. I didn't know that people really did that. And mm. um, so he died from his very first heart attack. Um, oh. And so, you know, I realized that, you know, life is short. And mm. I think, you know, on my deathbed, what are the things that I'm going to value the most, regret the least? And I think that sort of keeps it real. So, you know, it's about saying some days, you know, do I really need to do one more hour of work? Is that the thing I'm going to regret on my deathbed? Probably not. So I'm going to go outside and watch the boys play soccer or I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to chat to my friends. And I think it is just surrounding yourself with with great people. As I said before, I have a great husband to lovely boys I mean don't get me wrong they're far from perfect but I love them <laughs> very much and and they're great they're really good boys and I have a, I have a best friend which I think is really important 
um, you know, my best friend, Kerry, she is, you know, cheaper than therapy. I love her to pieces. Um, and yes, yeah, so I have a good family. I have, you know, a good job. And I've been able to connect with a lot of great researchers around the world. And particularly, I thought the Female Athletic Conference that Kate Ackerman runs, um, you know, attending this year has been a game changer for me. I've met some, again, some fantastic people. And I guess I'm just really fortunate that the mix right now is good. Um, but one thing I will say that, you know, I want, I think, I want, I want to say, I think, it's, which is really important, is that I took a two-year career break um, when I had my when I had my twin boys, and I think that you know, for me, that's what I wanted to do. I really, really wanted children, and I took my time, took two years off, and since um, when I went back to work after the two-year career break, I worked part time because I wanted to be able to have a really active role with with my with my two boys and where we live we don't really live near any family so you know we're sort of doing it alone mm-hmm. and so you know I took my time went back part-time and you know picked up little pieces and then you know it just the ball starts rolling again so what I guess I'm trying to say in a very long-winded Irish way is that you know don't be afraid to take some time off and right. don't be afraid to do the things that you really want to do I really wanted to be a mom and you know I've loved every minute of it. And now my guys are going to, to secondary school now. So they need me a little less. And, you know, it's really coincided with a really great time for my research is coming together. Reputation is starting to grow a little bit. And yeah, it's, I guess, a perfect storm for me right now. I'm really fortunate. Um, I hope it will continue. But yeah, I guess my message is just surround yourself with, with good people and just remember to take some time off working part-time doesn't have to you know it's not a bad thing it won't end your career and right. um, right. yeah so I, I guess sorry that's a really long answer wow. no but great one a great message <laughs> of finding your tribe and doing it your own way so we love that here Kirstie, thanks so much for taking time and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and we'll see you soon hopefully at a conference yeah, absolutely. I'll certainly be looking out for you guys. Um, it'd be nice to see you and to chat again. And yeah, thanks so much for having me on. You bet. Have a great day. Bye, Queens. Today's episode is brought to you by Yours Truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as REDS, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.beccamacomble.com, to find out when the release date is set and when it'll be on Amazon. Bye, Queens. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. And Hashtag Fit for a Queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, Queens.